I'm reading this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, beginning at verse 24. The Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 17, verses 24 through 27. And when they had come to Capernaum, that's Jesus and his disciples, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? And Peter said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, anticipating what had happened, what do you think, Simon, from whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax, from their sons or from strangers? And upon this saying, from strangers, Jesus said to him, upon his saying, from strangers, Jesus said to him, consequently, the sons are exempt. But lest we give them offense, Go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up and when you open its mouth, you will find a stator that's twice the two drachma. Take that and give it to them for you and me. The temple at Jerusalem was a costly place to run. There were the morning and evening sacrifices which required the offering of a one-year-old lamb. I think I'm just a little high. Maybe getting a ring there. The offering of a one-year-old lamb twice a day and with this offering were offered wine and oil and flour. The incense that burned on the altar day and night had to be bought and prepared. And the costly hangings that draped the temple as well as the priest's robes were constantly wearing out. As a matter of fact, the robe that the high priest wore was worth itself a king's ransom. And so in our text this morning, Jesus is paying the temple tax. The tax authorities had come to Simon Peter and they had asked him, does your master, does your teacher pay the temple tax, the religious tax? This religious tax, in order to pay the expense of the temple, was imposed by the Jews so that every male Jew over 20 years of age had to pay this two drachma tax, which was equivalent to two days' wages. And so they asked Peter, does your master pay the temple tax? It is obvious that they asked the question with malicious intent. They were actually hoping that he didn't pay the temple tax so that the religious authorities, the orthodox, would have some reason for accusation against him. And so Peter just answered right off the cuff. That was customary with him. He said, of course Jesus pays the temple tax. 
And when he saw Jesus, he got into conversation with him about it. And the response of Jesus to the question that had been posed to Peter was kind of a parable. Jesus responded in a kind of a parabolic illustration. And in this parabolic illustration, he teaches some tremendous things about citizenship and our civic responsibility. But I want to pass beyond that which is obvious this morning, the obvious lesson that Jesus taught in the parabolic response. And I want us to deal with the not-so-obvious things that Jesus taught in his response, which has to do with God's ability to provide the needs of his people. And I think that that might be more relevant today than the, the other teaching. On a day when the uh, First Baptist Church of Durant faces some tremendous challenges, and some of these challenges that are being brought to our minds and before us are really frightening, and they have some of us a little bit concerned and upset, and I know that. The responsibilities of what lies before us, expense, and etc. And the obvious question as we confront some of these challenges and some of these dreams that some people have been dreaming concerning new staff positions and family life centers and expansion for growth, and you're hearing all of these things as they're discussed around in the community. Some of these things are frightening to us, and we're concerned about it, and I recognize that and appreciate it. And the obvious question is, can we fund this kind of thing? Can we afford it, or how are we going to do it? Of course, it's obvious that there's nobody imposing a temple tax on the people who make up the First Baptist Church. No, rather, we, we ask your generous and loving commitment of stewardship. Nobody's going to impose any kind of tax. And I suppose that really the honest answer is when we consider some of the tremendous challenges that are laid before us, the obvious answer to the question, can we fund this and can we afford it? The real answer is, as we look at our resources, the answer has to be no. But I'm convinced that what we do in First Baptist Church or in any church, it's no different. What we do within the framework of God's will is not on the basis of our resources, but on the basis of his. And with that in mind this morning, I want us to look at what Jesus is teaching concerning his ability to provide what is necessary to do God's work. Number one, God's sources are not limited to my explanation or my expectation. Can I say that again? God's resources are not limited to our expectations or our explanation. I want you to just imagine how Simon must have felt when Jesus told him to do what he told him to do. Now, it wasn't a shock to Simon Peter that Jesus paid the religious tax. 
That didn't surprise him at all because he knew that Jesus was obedient to civil responsibility and authority. He knew that Jesus was responsive to civil authority. He had said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Even though Jesus was the most revolutionary man who ever lived, he was the most nonviolent man. He believed that getting along was better than getting ahead. And he believed that persuasion was better than force. He was the most revolutionary man, but the most nonviolent man. It wasn't the fact that Jesus was going to pay this tax that shocked him. It was how he was going to do it that rocked him back on his heels. For he said to Simon, he said, I want you to go out and cast the hook, and I want you to know that that's the only time in the New Testament where there is ever a record of any fish ever being caught with a hook. It was always cast your nets and gather up a bunch of fishes. But when Peter was told, go out and cast the hook, he was, that was a remarkable thing. Go put a hook in the water. And the first fish you catch, you open his mouth and you'll find the coin in there twice as much as you need. And you take that coin and you pay the temple tax. I want you to, I want to know, is that believable? Is that possible? Go out and cast the hook in the lake and the first fish you catch, you'll find the money in it to meet the needs I have. Is that believable? Is that explainable? That's about as, that, is, that is about as possible as telling a dead man to come out of the grave. It is so unbelievable that scholars have tried to explain it away like this. Barclay says, listen to it. Yes, Peter, you're right. We too must pay our just and lawful debts. Well, you know how to do it. Back you go to the fishing for a day. You'll get plenty of money in the fish's mouth to pay our dues. A day at fishing will soon produce all we need. Jesus was saying, back to your job, Peter. That's the way to pay your debts. So the typist will find a new coat in the keys of the typewriter, and the motor mechanic will find food for himself and his wife and family in the cylinder of the car, and the teacher will find money to pay his way in the blackboard and the chalk, and the clerk will find enough to support himself and his dear ones in the ledger and in the account sheets. When Jesus said this, he said it with that swift smile of his, with his gift for dramatic language. He was not telling Peter literally to get coins in fish's mouths. He was telling him that in his day's work he could get what he needed to pay his way. Now come, come, Mr. Barclay. Just because I can't explain something doesn't mean that it's not possible. Just because I don't expect it doesn't mean that it won't come to pass. For I want you to know that God's resources are not limited by my explanation or my ability to understand it. God's resources, whether we survive 
or whether we succeed in the First Baptist Church is not limited to my ability to earn, but upon God's ability to pay. And we're the children of the King. Now, I must pour out my soul to you a little while now because I'm preaching this morning with a little bit of anxiety and concern. I too am of the flesh and I too have some anxiety about the future. I live or die with you and it's just as much my burden to say, is this the will of God or is it not? Should we do this or should we not? That's kept me awake also and I want you to believe that. But I think I'm honest with my heart when I say this. I want to begin to live in a church that lives and walks by faith in the resources of God. We've never really trusted Him with our lives. And everything that belongs to God legally belongs to us. We're seed of Abraham. We're heirs of the promise. I heard a um, great preacher preach one time and he told about a pastor friend of his who was pastoring in North Carolina and he began to preach against tobacco. And in North Carolina, you know, you can preach about the Iran crisis, but you don't need to preach about tobacco because that was a means of livelihood for those people. And they got angry at their pastor and they not only ran him out of their pulpit, they destroyed his reputation, his career. And this pastor said, I had him on my heart and I needed to go and encourage him. And so I went to his house one day and he said, his wife met me at the door and she said, oh, I'm so glad you came. Charlie's around in the woodwork shop behind the house. And he said, I went around there expecting a man to be crushed and destroyed and ruined. But he says, I, as I approached the woodwork shop where he was toiling, he said, I could hear him sing, My father is rich in houses and lands. He holdeth the wealth of the world in his hands, of silver and diamonds, of, of rubies and diamonds, of silver and gold. My father is rich. He has riches untold. And he said, when I went to encourage him, he encouraged me with the fact that God is going to meet the needs of those who are faithful to him. For we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. The testator has died and he's bequeathed his possessions in his will to us and the will has been probated. This is the will, this word I hold in my hand. And the testator has been resurrected and he's given us the administrator to make real in our lives, appropriate to us what he purchased in his death. And in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, God meets 
every need we have according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not able this morning to explain how he's going to do it, and I'm not able to understand how he's going to do it, nor are you, but I believe he will. Number two, God's resources are available to sacrifice and to faith. Now you say, if God is going to create fishes and put them in the, the ponds, and if he's going to make coins and put them in their mouths, what sacrifice is required in that? Well, the clue to that is in that verse there, 26 and 27, where Jesus said, Now you know that the sons of the king are exempt from all taxes, for the king has the kingdom, and he's not going to tax his own sons, is he? In other words, Jesus was saying to his disciples, really, we're of the king, and we don't have to pay this tax. We're legally exempt. But, lest we offend anybody, we're going to pay it. And this unselfish willingness on the part of Jesus to give up something that he wanted for himself in order for others to be better is fundamental to the way of Christ. For example, he didn't have to come here and take mortal flesh upon himself, but he did. He didn't have to stay here after he came, but he did. He didn't have to die on that cross. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free, but he did. It was his loving will that brought him here. It was his loving will that kept him here. It was his loving will that impelled him down the path that led to a lonely cross outside the city wall, and it was his loving will, not the Roman nails, that fastened him to the cross. It was the loving will to give up myself for others. And I'm convinced that the family of God, listen to me carefully, the family of God that moves significantly forward in this world will have to be made up of some people with the same kind of mind. I want to tell you about the Lake Country Baptist Church in Fort Worth. This is a true story. The Lake Country Baptist Church is a little church out by Eagle Mountain Lake, and it was started not many years ago, and it had some of the wealthiest and the most elite of Fort Worth in its membership. They had a change of staff not too many years ago, and a lot of those people that were going out to Lake Country had had a unique way of ministry, began to leave that church. Some came to North Fort Worth while I was pastor. And one day, one of the men of my church told me, he said, well, have you heard about Lake Country? And I said, no, I haven't heard about it. And he said, well, Lake Country is about to fold up. They're about to, they're about to go under. They're about to go broke. And he said that they, the finances were not there, the people were not coming, the people were not giving. About... Three months after he told me that, and I was somewhat, you know, I just kind of shrugged it off. I had enough problems of my own to worry about. 
I, I got a letter from the pastor of Lake Country, and he told me that they were starting a new a school, a Christian school in his church, and he wanted me to publicize that in case any of the young people in our town, our church wanted to go out there and is an accredited co- uh, uh, high school. And I thought, now how in the world is a church going broke going to do that? And so I asked somebody, and they said that about two months prior to the letter I received, their church began to pray. Jim Hilton was the pastor. They had cottage prayer meetings. They began to pray for God to pour out his spirit on that little group struggling to survive. They began to pray that God would pour out his spirit on them and bless his work among them. And the Spirit of God came upon that church. Now, Jim Hilton is the preacher that you read in the Baptist Messenger who was preaching that revival in Indiana about the first part of the summer, and they had a Holy Ghost Pentecost revival come upon that little church in Indiana. Hundreds of people were saved. There were people healed in the services, and they're just continuing day after day, night after night. And Jim Hilton flies up there in the wheat and preaches, flies back down to Lake Country. God in anointing and pouring out his spirit on that preacher. And he poured out his spirit upon that church. And those people, this is a true story. You can go to Fort Worth and, and document it. They sold their Cadillacs. They sold jewelry. They brought this processions and they laid them at the feet of the elders, the deacons of the church, and God poured out a blessing and is pouring it out upon that place. I am here to tell you, I don't know whether I'm at the position of sacrificing myself or not. I want to be, but I am convinced of this, that when the church begins to trust God and begins to yield itself up in sacrificial love and giving, God's going to pour out his spirit here. And we're going to see not only the new birth take place on Sunday morning, but we're going to see physical healing and we're going to see spiritual healing here. And I believe it's going to come to pass when we begin to say, I'm willing to sacrifice what I want for what someone else needs. Now, I know that I'm preaching strange doctrine, but I'm preaching it out of my heart. You listen to the last point. One last thought, please. God creates from what is not the sufficiency for what is needed. Where did that fish come from? That fish was created by God. Um, Let me say that again. You agree with that? That fish was created by God. Well, let me say it another way. God created that fish. And secondly, he put the coin in its mouth. Where did the fish come from? Where did the coin come from? God created it and put it there. For God has the ability to create out of nothing the sufficiency for what is needed. That's why we have the world we have today. Now you say, I just can't believe that. If you can't believe that, I'm sorry for you. 
because you'll never enter in to the blessings of the fullness of God until you believe God is able to create out of nothing what is needed for sufficiency. And he's even able to create and provide that which we don't feel is necessary. For the disciples certainly didn't feel, and Jesus certainly didn't feel, that it was necessary, mandatory, that they pay the temple tax. There are a lot of things that we don't feel are necessary. And the reason why God will do it, I want you to catch this. And when I discovered this not long ago, it just thrilled my heart. Look what he says. He said, when that fish comes up and when you open its mouth, you will find a stator. Now, there's the two drachma tax. That's what everybody, male Jew, over 20, owed. But Jesus said, you're going to find a stator in his mouth. That's twice what is needed. Why? Look at this. Take that and give it to them for you and for me. You see that? For our need is his need. And he's inseparably linked with his people in doing the will of the Father. You see, it's his witness that is at stake. It's his name that's at stake. It's his honor that's at stake. He's linked with us here so that if we fail, he fails. You think he's going to let us fail? I don't think he is. I think we are so linked with him, you and me. I think that's such an inseparable union that he's going to guarantee our success because he's going to guarantee his own. I believe that. I want you to believe that. I want you to believe that when we find the will of God on our knees, I want you to believe that when God gives us his will and his purpose for our church, that at the same time that's his guarantee that he's both in it with us and will bring it to pass and accomplish it with us. Folks, what we do at First Baptist Church is not what he wants or he wants or he wants. It's what we do together with him. We are laborers together with God. I want us to bow our heads. Do you have a need this morning? Do you believe that God can meet that need? Is there a burden on your heart? Do you believe that God can take that burden? He'll meet your need. He'll bring it to pass what he wants. You'll trust him. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation hymn, and we're going to invite you to come. Some of you may need to come to say, I want to receive Christ as my personal Savior. Some of you may want to come to say, I want to put my life here and serve God at First Baptist. Some of you may just need to come to say, Pastor, I want to recommit myself to the work of God. I want to trust Him. I want to rededicate my life to Him. After we've prayed, we'll invite you to come. I just feel God is going to bless us in a moment.
would you be willing to respond?